Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Scott Bass, we have waterwaystravel.com with us today. These are experts in surf travel, um, founded in 1994 by Sean Murphy, which I think is about the year that I started surfing, 28 years ago. I would have been yeah. 13 years old. Wow, okay. You and, and so Waterways guys, have the same anniversary. We do, except um, Sean was already an adequate surfer at that point, but just kind of sussing out where to go in the world. And um, I mean, he's developed and kind of pioneered a lot of the spots that I grew up then seeing in the magazines and, um, you know, big brands doing campaigns in these locations and stuff like that. So highly influential throughout my life. And now they're a partner on our podcast. Yeah, look, we're big fans of waterways travel. And basically for the one reason that you mentioned that Sean Murphy's so experienced with this. I mean, this guy's been doing it forever. You want to, um, Ride with the best, you know, and that's the case with Waterways Travel. Yeah, exactly. Uh, save all the hassle. So they're experts. Travel intelligently at waterwaystravel.com. And then uh, need essentials as well. The weather is chilly. This is the first day that I'm wearing an actual robe in the house since last year. But need essentials has you covered. Um, what are you smiling about? <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Just, I... Robe life? Yeah, robe life is wonderful. LLB really is. LLB really, robe life. It really is. I got to get a thin one just for the, because I enjoy the robe life so much, but it's relegated to wintertime only. I got to get a thin one for the rest of the when year. When is uh, Need Essentials going to have robe life available? I Not soon enough as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. Um, but I did reload on all of my Need gear yesterday. I ordered yeah. it. it. So it'll probably be here tomorrow. I got a new thermal liquid taped um three two i got the same thing in a four three i got the balaclava and i got the booties the two mil booties and also a great time to reload for your snow uh, snow gear needs as well you know i know totally. my son was like talk to the guys that need i need a new shell you know he's up <laughs> in the mountains snowboarding or skiing so uh, anyway this I, is the time for up reloading for winter either in the ocean or on the mountain yeah, it's specifically the time until next Thursday, by the way. Um, there's a sale in place. They sent this out to customers. So basically anybody who's purchased something in the past got this discount, but we have been given approval to pass it along to our listeners. The code is thermal20 and it uh, saves you 20% off the thermal32 and the thermal43. These oh. are for the men's and women's suits. This only applies in the US, so the discount isn't being offered in Australia or Europe, but if you're anywhere in the US, go to needessentialsusa.com, and now's the time to stock up 20% off. Sweet. Do it yeah, now. smoking deal. Do the smart thing. Yeah. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry, this thing holding open, it spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, friggin' guy. You know what? Yeah, guy. Um, it is spit. It is uh, David Lee Scales, Scott Bass, and we're talking uh, surf with you here. Uh, all things surf, David. And um, I'm, I'm anticipating that you have a uh, 
show produced because I apologize. I've been in a little bit of, uh, of uh, I've just been busy with some stuff. And I wanted really badly to, uh, to come to the show and say, yeah, I watched all the stuff on Stab we were going to talk about. And I did watch the Vans Pipe Master show. But let me just say this. It's yes. Tuesday. It's October 25th. Good morning. Good morning. And, um, you know, that's a story in and of itself. You said, watch all the stuff that's on Stab. This is the story that we've alluded to, but we really haven't uh, pinpointed. And that is that Stab Magazine has essentially become another television network for us to enjoy. We've got Netflix with this programming over here, Amazon Prime over here. You pull up StabMag.com and they, there is television quality productions that are episodic. We've got multiple series running right now between how surfers get paid, the vans warm up stuff, the no contest stuff. Um, Stab High is starting, I think, in two days from now. These are things that land on the same day every week that you look forward to, and they're equally as good, well produced as television. And you know what else I've noticed, much like sort of Netflix too, or any of these subscription models, is that. Although there's a clear and present voice <clears throat> that Stab presents, there is also um, what feels like other voices being presented. In other words, it's not just like this prism of, you know, Stab and Stab only. There's there's great Stab content, but there's also these other voices that that Stab is putting out there. That I I feel like it's not, you know, it's like seventy percent great Stab content, but there's other voices as I mentioned, being um, offered up. It's true. And I think that's been part of the evolution. I think that it was a little bit more narrow. Um, same director, same kind of production team on all of the projects. But now you're right. It has diversified a little bit. I forgot to mention, too, in my rundown, Electric Acid Surfboard Test, which is, of course, over right now, but is worth going back to watch if you haven't. Um, so in regard to that voice, I think that the way that I've seen it is you got Sam McIntosh essentially as the visionary leader and it was his voice for some time. And then he put Ashton Goggins in place and it was Ashton's voice literally and figuratively kind of his direction, but also his literal voice on a lot of the pieces and they've diversified since then. And I think Ashton is still in a producer role and he's a director role for the no contest series um, but then there's Danny Johnson is a voice on some of the shows. There's other people that they're kind of filtering in. And so it does diversify the output as you stated. Yeah. So I'm a fan. Yeah. And it's not to say that I don't go other places. I do go to Surfline and get some content there, but frankly, the reason I'm on Surfline is to see what's happening with potential swells and potential waves around the world. And, um, that's simply something that is that Surfline's great at. And uh, and I can't really think of other places that I go for surf content other than, you know, an Instagram feed, which is which is heavy with all of us, which is fun too. But Stab seems to own the space right now uh, editorially. And specifically for these video pieces that we're talking about, there's nobody even trying really to do what they're doing. Yeah. in regard to that except as i mentioned and i'll mention later in the show the real water sports um under the glass series you know it's they're not going to be producing um four different varieties of shows but their under the glass series is kind of made in that same vein and to similar quality but anyways i let's talk about no contest um i alluded to this last week i guess you didn't get a chance to watch but i'll i'll give you the rundown on it um no Contest was a series that has been being produced by Red Bull and Stab collaboratively for the last couple of years. And it was filmed in the down days, the off days, the lay days during WCT events. And it would usually come out a month or two after the event, which is a little unfortunate because um, it'd be epic if they could figure out how to kind of make them happen at the same time. But, you know, post-production requires a bit of time. So it always come out later but they were really well done because they provided so much context for these locations on tour that they were visiting. Um, the surfers and the people on staff for the WSL, of course, get to enjoy so much of that context in terms of culture and food and 
museums, that sort of thing. But for the viewer of a surf contest, you don't get any of it. And so the series did a great job at showing the behind the scenes, linking up with a local uh, tour guide or surfer and going and eating at the local restaurants, often uh, participating in the free surfs with the professionals and all that, which is always great to see. And they're about 30 minutes long, always really well done. Well, they've diverted this year and they're doing it off tour. So they're not beholden to the tour stops. And it is still Ashton as the um, the host. And he's linking up with various tour guides and professional surfers at different locations. I think there's three episodes that are currently available. Fiji, which he brings Julian Wilson along for the ride on that one. And they score an epic swell. They do Italy uh, with Stephanie Gilmore in tow. And they link up with Leonardo Fioravanti and a couple of other local pros. And then there's a New York episode, which I haven't watched, but I heard is pretty good. Um, and uh, I would love to say that this is as good as it always has been. And I, in fact, wanted this to be as good as it always has been, but it's um, not quite a travel show. You know, if you watch No Reservations or whatever it is on Netflix that's available right now, travel food shows, it's not quite that and it's not quite as good as those things but over here it's not quite a surf uh show either you know there's there's they're stuck somewhere in the middle and the surfing of leonardo fioravanti is good the surfing of stephanie gilmore is good in the italy episode but the surfing of everybody else is very mediocre and it's a 30 minute uh episode that could have been 12 minutes if they cut out all the B and C surf clips. So I found myself sitting through 30 minutes going, this is a lot of filler. I want to love this thing, um, but I just don't. And so then I watched the Fiji episode thinking, well, they score an amazing swell. They've got Julian. This is going to be amazing. And it was kind of the same thing again. Lots of filler, lots of stuff that could have been left. I don't know if they're trying to build it to the 30 minute format because they were hoping to sell it to a somebody else and then it didn't work out and so now they're back on youtube for free but it's just it's kind of stuck in the middle of two uh yeah. two things as far as i'm concerned yeah it's like a tweener surfboard you know the worst exactly. of both worlds i haven't seen it i can't comment on it um again i know that they're obviously trying to do their best i guess my question to you is you know when you watch a really great travel show um the host usually does a really good job of sort of pulling out and excavating, like say a local business or a local businessman, like the guy who owns the local bakery or whatever, you know, and, yeah. and, the, and he's the host and the producers do a good enough job to find the right guy so that it's a guy with history in the location, a guy whose family has been there forever or whatever the case may be. So it's really um, a lot of times the, the hit or miss on these shows is how well the pre-production is done how much research is done. You, you're absolutely right. And I was stuck throughout these two episodes trying to figure out where it wasn't landing. And I thought about that exact thing. And it turns out the characters that they interact with are very interesting. The characters are actually kind of the highlights in this series as they are with the ones, the examples that you're talking about. I'm sad to say, I think the problem here is the lack of charismatic host. And I'm not, you know, I'm not an Ashton hater. I actually, I think Ashton does a great job writing this piece and even producing, but he's just lacks charisma as a host. And you, the comment sections reflect it. Like once you scroll down, that is a consistent comment that you're seeing. We used to see it years ago when, um, I guess he was more in front of the camera frequently. And so now he's not. So I'm like, well, he, this seems to be a perfect fit for him. Uh, but he's just, he lacks a certain charisma that you, I don't know how to, do you watch on um, Netflix? There's a show called Somebody Feed Phil with Phil Rosenthal. Are you no. familiar with this? No, I'm not. Phil Rosenthal got rich, super rich off um, being the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond. And he's this very nevish, like classic Jewish Hollywood, like dorky, um, milk toast kind of dude. Nerdy. You would think the most 
unlikely host of a TV show ever. Yet he's charismatic. You know, it's like you're you're it's easy to poke fun at how nerdy and dorky he is, but he's so charismatic that you want to go on the show with him and eat wherever he goes. So it's he's an anti-host, but the charisma is there. And it's almost a juxtaposition, but it works. And I watch no contest and I'm like, man, Ashton just there's something lacking in terms of charisma and the characters they interact with are great again the surfing throughout the pieces are not great but this does bring up another point uh cloud break the fiji episode with julian wilson how wonderful it is to see somebody of julian wilson's caliber surfing world-class waves yeah. and this is a reminder of kind of what we talk about with the world tour not surfing good waves for the last few years we watching Julian Wilson on tour, we're really watching one of the world's technically most proficient surfers being nullified by the waves that they're riding. And then ultimately, you know, almost not requalifying a couple of times and then quitting. Watching him surf pumping cloud break was super refreshing and great to see. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And, um, you know, again, we're, we're sort of being hypercritical because that's our job. And um, I'm hoping that that the producers in Ashton or whoever, um, you know, don't take it personal and j just just take it like, hey, maybe there's is some room for improvement. I totally agree with you that look, the the host is driving the show, so the host above everything has to be sort of proven, and as you say, has to be sort of beloved in in almost like a you know like like a really cool uncle type of way. You know, yeah. and um, and that like if we have that right character and that's super crucial, you know, yeah. if we have that right character and then that character and the producers do the research that I mentioned. And it might not only just be a, the people of the town. A lot of times it's like the architecture of the town, like go into some in-depth yeah. thing that has tons of history so that when I'm done with it, I'm like, oh, my God, I learned something and I got to watch Julian Wilson rip the shit out of cloud break. Let's go ahead and edit you know, Ashton or whoever else, the low, you know, guys that are just random B surfers that are out in the water, let's get them out of the picture, take that time, put it towards more cultural stuff that I just mentioned. And I think we have a, you know, we're real close here. We're really close. It is. It is. They do again. And he write, I saw the credits that Ashton wrote the episodes. He does a great job writing them because he creates all that context that we want. And he picks the right people to connect with who, then do a deeper dive and uh, we get to see all those things you're talking about. It just doesn't quite land, you know? And the other thing that was interesting about the um, Fiji episode is we don't hear at all from Julian Wilson. They've got Julian Wilson with them, presumably for a week or two. We hear almost zero from him. Uh, and there's even, they're interviewing uh, Tavita Gukalau, I think is his name. Goofy Footer, who spent a ton of time there. And uh, the three of them are sitting in a semicircle, and it's just Tavita talking. They even show Julian Wilson, he's just staring down at his feet at some point. You know, he doesn't say two words. I'm sure that he does say words. They just got left on the cutting room floor. So I just thought it was weird that at the end of the 30 minute episode, I got a total of 90 seconds of talking time from Julian. Um, because I feel funny. like I tuned, I tuned into the episode to kind of see Julian, you know? Right. And they probably kind of semi-highlighted him in the, in the package. Yeah, exactly. You know, as, as you and I sit here and talk, I'm, I think to myself, for me, Ashton kind of comes off as, um, as trying too hard, almost. And, yeah. um, and again, I'm being hypercritical. He's, he does a way better job than I would ever do. But I immediately start thinking to myself, who are some great characters, surf Thank characters you. that we have all seen on camera already that I feel like might be able to carry the show and do a really good job of it. And, and so I just, some names just came to my mind of guys I've seen on camera, David, that I think could carry a show as a host, as a travel host. The first one that popped into my mind is Koa Smith. I've seen Koa Smith on film. He's very natural. He's very good at just being honest and being sort of, um, you know, like not being too much, you know? Um, Here's a weird one that popped into my mind who I think is great on camera. This might throw you for curveball, but so did that guy that you mentioned in that show that you loved. You're, you're yeah. Jake Patterson. 
Oh yeah. Nick's great on film and he's great yeah. on camera. He's great at carrying the conversation. That's a weird one, right? Left field, but you never know. Here's another yeah. one. Peter King. Peter King's good. I know he's great behind the camera, but he's good on camera. He was a MTV disc jockey or VJ or whatever back in the day. Well, let's leave that, that off of his <laughs> resume. Um, let's see. Who's the other one I have here? Oh, Laura Enever. We all agree that Laura is really she's natural on camera. She would be a really good one for this. So there, my point is there's a bunch just uh, that I quickly just grabbed and put in my pocket that are out there. And uh, I'm sure there's like 25 or 30 other really great ones. I've got, I've got two, yeah. two that I what thought of um, before we even mentioned this, but Jamie Brissick, I thought would be an easy fit for this. Um, lots of charisma. He's worldly, you know, I think, and he's a great surfer. So he could participate in that aspect of it. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but Danny Johnson, who is on staff with Stab, and he he had a podcast um, that he was doing for a few years. He's super entertaining, funny on camera, and uh, I think he would also be a great fit for this. Yeah, but, I think they're out there, you know, and 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 like you said with the gentleman that you mentioned, who I forget his name, but um, don't be afraid also to go left field. I mean, you'd be surprised um, who can. Who, who's just really good in front of the camera. And that's really kind of what it's about. It's about that person that doesn't over extend yeah. on camera, but just carries the narrative and lets the story unfold, but is See, quirky and that, strange enough. That was going to be my criticism about Koa Smith that you presented is he, he's like a, the Jim Carrey. He's like an over actor kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's yeah. a little too intense yeah. and animated. And I think it works for certain styles of show. Yeah. But uh, I don't I know that. I he, think you're right. He, a, tra a travel show needs a guy that's sincerely interested in the architecture or the bakery, like wants to learn. And it comes yeah. off. It's very obvious. Yeah. Well, I, this show is close to a slam dunk. Um, I'm looking forward to the next episodes. I will watch New York probably today. Um, and I'm, there's three, I think they're releasing them kind of in batches of three. So there's a couple more that are coming soon and I want it to be great. I, I think the surf world really could use, like, this is a perfect fit. It just makes so much sense. I want to watch it. And so I'm uh, hoping that, you know, some of these things get smoothed out, uh, in these next episodes, but thrilled that they're doing it rather regardless. Yeah. Um, following up from another conversation from last week, you were giving me the rundown on that episode one of the Pipe Masters preview show from Vans that Stab is also producing. Yes. They've released episode two, which included the men invitees to the event. Yes. What were your thoughts on that? Felipe Toledo is invited. Oh, you're kidding. I, I saw this and I didn't see his name on there. Yep, invitees, CT Surfers, John John Florence, Felipe Toledo, Jack Robinson, Idolo Ferreira, Seth Moniz, Baron Mamiya, Gabriel Medina, Kelly Slater. Oh, wow. But interesting. He, they did not mention him in episode one that you stated last week. Uh, last week, they said, we're going to give you the CT men's surfers, and then we'll give you everybody else later. They did not include Felipe in that episode. That's but I'm one I, okay. Yeah, but I'm wondering if in the subsequent week, you know, enough kind of people talked about it and said, hey, he's the number one surfer in the world. Whether or not he accepts the invite, we have to at least invite him. You know, it'd be I'm weird sure to not I'm invite sure him. Sure, he'll accept it. Look, he he hasn't been terrible at pipe. You know, like the thing about pipe, pipe is that let's get Let's just get okay. it straight. The, he got two waves. He's gotten two waves at pipe that okay. I could that I could point to and say, uh, you know, those are decent <laughs> scores, or those are better barrels than I've ever gotten in my life. Those are decent scores, but they were shouldery waves. He took off kind of on the shoulder, and as it tapered, got a little too. Well, the the thing about about Felipe at, at pipe is that there's a right. I mean, he's good in in barreling rights. I mean. I think you would agree with me that if we were to go, okay, what's his one fault? It's big, meaty, slabby lefts where you're like, I'm not sure he's like necessarily uh, gonna, like booking a trip to cloud break on his off weeks. You know where he's not booking a trip? The box. Okay. The box. No, oh, but also the box. I'm saying 
I'm saying you're not wrong about the yeah. lefts, but think about the rights too. I don't think it's specific to left or right. I think it's specific to shallow, scary waves. And backdoor is a shallow, scary wave. If you're if that peak's popping up and you're looking to backdoor the thing and go into the shallow part of the reef, it's a sketchy thing to do. Yeah. I don't see him doing it. Well, it, the other heading thing towards thinking... heading towards Ayukai sand is a lot safer, I think, in that in that scenario. As I was looking at and thinking about this, I was thinking about the other day about the format mostly, right? Like what this also does is it gives the producers of this event, I guess vans, the ability to run on what would normally be off days. Mm. I mean, if they're looking for ramp sections and it's onshore and crumbly and four to six feet, that's that's ramp section all day long, you know, like yeah. like a day that you would never think about running the pipe masters. You yeah, could absolutely run an entire day. I yes, but it would be a failure if they focused on that. That would be putting the airs kind of at a greater importance than the barrels. I think what it does allow, and to your point, is that if the entire waiting period did not have a barreling day, there was some windy days and it was crap, then of course it would allow them to execute what you're talking about. Yeah. But it'd be a shame if there's an eight foot West swell day on Saturday and they choose to run on Friday because there's ramps. Well, I, I agree. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to one, uh, acknowledge and give them credit for trying something different, but two, to say in advance that I think this format is not gonna be a winner. I just don't know how you can have a pipeline masters event and have it be anything but guys pulling into pipeline. Yeah. As, as, and providing the winner, you know, providing, it just, well, I don't care how hard you, it just feels too. You would have been the guy saying square. I know we've said this about other stuff in the past recently, <laughs> you know, like the two shapers in the electric well, acid surfboard test. That didn't seem like it was going to work, but this really feels like square peg round hole. Okay. But I'll just play devil's advocate, even though I'm not. And I agree with you. Uh, you never would have seen Felipe Toledo or anybody doing two alley-oops at J-Bay. You would have argued up until that event, 2015, you would have, I think it was 15, it's maybe 17. You would have argued um, speed, power, and flow. That's what J-Bay is all about. It's about pacing, stay on the rail. There's not even an air section, right? But then he did that. Or Margaret River, it was a left forever up until the last decade, you know? And now nobody goes left for scores there. Well, I so could argue... Okay, go. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No, that's it. That's really it. Yeah. So I could argue that that Felipe did show speed, power, and flow with those aerials at Jay Bay, especially the first four hacks he did before he did the aerials. You know, like, in other words, that wave presents itself. The canvas is such that you can do everything. It's an incredible high-performance wave. Pipeline, even if you could argue, yeah, you can still do everything at Pipeline. It's really, come on. It was called pipeline. For, it's called the bonsai pipeline for a reason. Because Mike Diffendorfer saw it heaving massive barrels and spitting out each end. They didn't go, oh, you know what? This is like Lonnie Akea. Let's go out and rip. No, they sat on the beach and went, looks like a pipeline. And so, I mean, the name itself, like, it tells you, you know. Yeah. I, I don't disagree. Wave, two I don't disagree. I don't disagree. What I'm suggesting yeah. is that there's been a couple early indicators of people doing massive airs out there and the organizer, the contest organizers are trying to be, uh, keep the judging ahead of the trend or at least on pace with the trend of what's happening in surfing. Because what happens with WSL CT surfing is that innovation is actually never scored properly. If something, if something innovative happens in a CT event, inevitably it gets underscored. We've talked about 
um, Josh Kerr's club sandwich against Mick Fanning at Snapper, you know, in whatever that would have been, 2007 or something like that. And it was the most insane trick. It's still insane. It's finally getting scored now in events. But when Josh did it, the judges didn't even know how to incorporate it or airs in the early days of airs were constantly underscored in events until they were overscored. But the point is that innovation in that format constantly gets underscored. So I feel like they're looking at this going, hey, early indicators. Christian Fletcher started doing this in the 80s. Nathan Fletcher's still doing it. We've got Mason. We've got uh, Eli Hanneman. We've got John John Florence. There's a couple of people who are doing this out there. Yeah. Let's go ahead and dangle the carrot for everybody else to level up to that level. Okay. And I agree with you. I think innovation is important. And I think that an event like this is important because if it, it may, you know, when all said and, is done, said and done, it may not be right or perfect, but it will push the envelope, which will then help to create a situation where we eventually do get it right. But I would ask you this one, have you ever seen a wave during the event where you went, oh man, he would have gotten more if he would have done an air at the end? No, but we have seen waves at that event where guys kick out after they get a crazy barrel because right. there's no incentive to right. hit that end section, okay, that's but there often this, is an end section. This sets up my next question. Let's just cut to the chase. You and I right now. We know what a 10 at pipe looks like for the sake of this conversation. A guy just gets such a deep one, either a right or a left. He's behind the curtain for a long time. At some point we all go, oh my God, is he going to make it? And then he comes out and he makes it. And everyone universally around the world goes, that's a 10. And we all know it. So let's say a guy gets a 10, right? Kicks out of the wave. Next wave comes through or a wave comes through later in the heat. A guy gets, you know, like, a tube there it's not super deep but he is behind the curtain it kind of chandeliers or whatever he comes out it's like let's just say it's a five then he does an insane air that's mind-blowing on the end five, a five-point air a five-point air exactly and we've got two tens i did continue yeah. <laughs> this is where yeah. you go what do we do <laughs> My point is, which is better? Yeah. Which one is the better surf wave at the pipeline, at the bottom? It highlights. Line? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, it highlights. Because this is going to happen, David. We're going to have this conversation. We're going to be, it's going to be like, can you believe they gave him a 10? Or why didn't they give him a 10? Or, you know, like, this, yeah. which this controversy is what really they're seeking because it's going to pump up the conversation. But, well, I think that what you just, talked about highlights the limitation with scoring surfing with this highlights right. the limitation with competitive surfing full stop right we encounter this exact thing a couple of times every year and you know it's just it's kind of a feeble or uh, there's futile effort to even try to objectively score this i think uh, kind of the the more interesting scenario or another interesting scenario, at least, would be if Mason Ho is the first guy that you're talking about, perfect wave, perfect pipeline barrel, blown out with the spit, comes out, sole arch claim, kicks out, 10-point ride. The very next wave in the set is John John Florence. He gets an identical barrel, blown out with a spit, sole arch claim, and then there's an end section. Boom, full rotation air lands it. Where do you go there? Well, wait Mason so already got the up. 10. Mason, okay, so Mason, Mason already 10. got the 10. Okay. John John did the exact same 10-point thing right. plus an air. And I think that's the that is the um kind of intention with this judging format is right. we've right. seen this happen. Right. Let's go ahead and just set that as the expectation right. for what we know is possible out there. Now everybody level up to that. I think so what that's... you're saying then is that as judges, they all have to be on the same page here prior to the event and go, when a guy gets what we would normally deem a 10, it is now an eight. I feel there like will maybe be that's no it. tens, just straight tubes. There will be no straight tube, just tens, because we have to have room at the end for John John or Mason or Felipe or whoever, Gabe, 
for those guys, Eli Hanneman, to do that last end section air and we have to leave room or we're going to judge 14, 12 point rods, 15 point rods. Maybe that's so that's the other unlock that I think they could have done, which is the Dehui backdoor shootout scale, which yeah. allows for 12. Yeah. You know, like that. Yeah. A 10 point ride is a 10 point ride. We all know how glorious that is, but if you do something we've never seen before, we can go up to a 12. Yeah. Yeah. That, so we're not sure, but that, but that's basically what we're all agreeing on is that we have to leave room for what was normally be a 10 point ride at pipe. We now have to leave room for the end section aerial. Yeah. And it just is what it is. The, yeah. Then it's going to get weird when it's like not what we would deem a 10 point tube and an insane aerial is done at the right. end bigger and better than the other aerials we saw earlier in the day so to speak you know yeah yeah so well, there's fun it's going to be it's going to create a lot of talk and, and it already is that got that on some level these things played out already for three or four or five seasons in a row on the on yeah. the beach at jamie's house or at yeah. the volcom house or at the vans house whatever house these guys all sat day after day especially last season when it was all time for like two months straight and just just went oh wouldn't it be cool if they judged that in the vans and the pipe masters why don't they judge that you know because they saw it unfolding yeah finally nathan and those guys just got together with vans and went we need to we need the record yeah. now yeah uh you know, the more we talk about it, the more open I am to the concept. Um, and they're wise, I think, to parse out this information a month in advance because yeah. you and I are talking about it. So we're driving, you know, ultimately traffic to their event. But we're also a lot of these conversations traditionally happen after events with the benefit of hindsight. I feel like we're kind of working through a lot of the issues before the event happens and so once they hit game day they will have already solved for a lot of potential scenarios yeah um because you and i aren't the only ones talking about it obviously right a lot of people are and it's just becoming part of the surf conversation this month um but let's talk about the other invitees hawaiian invitees include Billy Kemper, Koa Smith, Mason Ho, John John Florence, Nathan Florence, Ivan Florence, Shaden Picaro, Eli Hanneman, Makana Pang, Koa Rothman, Eli Olson, Seth Moniz, Baron Mamiya. Baron Mamiya is a CT surfer as well, but he's Hawaiian, obviously. Um, Jamie O'Brien, Matt Miola, Noah Bashan, Emai Kalani DeVault, Jackson Bunch, uh, Kala Grace, and... Kaulana Oppo, who I'm not familiar with. You know what's um, weird is that I don't see Matt Miola as I'm watching this here. And they go to the Hawaiian locals and they're scrolling. You don't see Matt. What do you mean? I don't see oh, Miola on here. Oh, well, Matt Miola is in text on, in text on their website somewhere. And this is the, what I think why we didn't see Felipe, because I don't think Felipe... Was I think it, what they didn't said, make the video edit? Yeah, it didn't make the video edit. And you're right. Remember when you said Crosby Colapinto was included on the CT surfers? Yeah. And you're like, it must have been Griffin. They just did it yeah. wrong. Griffin is not included in the CT surfers, and Crosby is included, but not as a CT surfer. He's included as, you know, just an outsider. That's really um, interesting. Yeah. Is he a van surfer? No. Is that what it is? is that no. I thought it was that too, but he's not. I don't know why, how he got the invite. That's um, So the uh, one missing name that I see from that Hawaiian, there's probably a few if I thought about it, but Kai Lenny, you would think would be in. I know. That is kind of a bummer, actually. He's at the height of his powers and uh, he's capable, you know, and he draws. He's a draw. Crowd. That's the way I see it. I mean, I see it as a, from the Vans point of view, from a marketing point of view he's going to draw a lot of attention to your, a lot of outside attention yeah. to your event, you know? Well, the most interesting category of surfers that are invited are neither Hawaiians or CT surfers. They're referred to as blow-ins. And this includes Tosh Tudor, which is a Vans, uh, you know, gimme. Uh, Emio 
Sersmak. I always forget how to pronounce this kid's name, but this is a kid we've seen charging in Tahiti, getting some of the most insane waves in Tahiti these last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, Kalui Vost, who we saw make the finals in Tahiti this year. <laughs> Ballerum Stack, who we've seen show up at Pipe for the last 10 years and charging on days when nobody else paddles out and just charging into closeouts. So Ballerum's a great pick. Nick Von Rupp, also an incredible pick. Joao Chianca, <laughs> we, we know he can do it. Al Cleland Jr., Crosby Colapinto, and Riyu Lato. I don't know who that is. And then we've got Matt Miola, Rio Wida, Craig Anderson, Mikey February, Harry Bryant, Noah Dean, and uh, the Stab High winner. So whoever wins the next Stab High event, which is premiering this next week, also gets an invite. Well, it's funny, like if, I mean, when you look at this list, the first thing I think of, okay, David, who, who's of these guys, the blow in specifically, let's just start there. Which of these guys is going to go the furthest? He's going to get the highest I mean, points of these. I would say Ballerum. I, I think that's a good call, but I also really, I, I think the dark horse here for me is Alan Cleland Jr. Wow. Yeah. Do you know him? Yeah. So he lives down him. in mainland Mexico. He surfs heavy. He, sur he lives right in front of one of the best waves in mainland. Um, he's been surfing there since he was one years old or whatever. Yeah. I used to surf down there with his father, who still lives down there. Um, I, I agree. I think I know where you're going. He doesn't have a lot of experience with the lineup at Pipe, you know, which is the case with most of these guys, although not Ballerum and not Tosh Tudor. Tosh has put in three seasons there at least. Yeah, which isn't a lot. Uh, it's it is something, but it's not a lot. Uh, Emio, I love. You know, just like when you're that young, I think it's interesting. When you're that young, you don't know what you don't know, and so I feel like if you if they've got the charging um, gene, yeah, you know, which he clearly does, he'll just throw himself into things, and um, I guess that doesn't help for getting through multiple heats. It helps for getting one. 10 point ride and then a bunch of wipeouts well it's so that like might you got to get see. through that's true right? you know you're the just, format allows just scoring to... points against the yeah. field so yeah you know the key thing there is as you saw later in this in this video is the heat draw <laughs> and they're just letting makua and kayla Kenley and nathan florence create the heat yeah is that what i got out of that it seemed to be but it also doesn't really matter, right? I mean, I guess it does. Kind of does because there's no priority there. Yeah, so you got to like if I you mean, drew it, Johnny Boy and you know Tamayo or if you drew Johnny Boy and you know, just some other like super gnarly local guy. Well, you'd be screwed. I, Whereas if you draw Craig Anderson and Mikey February and Harry Bryant, you got like three guys were like, no, you go. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good point. But Gabriel Medina poses as much of a threat I, as I, Billy Kemper does in terms of battling for waves. And that'd be a great one to see tangle up, you know, Billy but, aiming but my for My point bat. is there are heats where, I mean, you yeah. could put together a draw, although there's always two Hawaiians in every heat. That's of many right. too. Right. Yeah. So who are the mellowest Hawaiians? That's the question, you know? Right. Maybe Matt Miola. He's not one of the Hawaiians. I have him here as a misfit on my list. Well, he's in both categories. So when they put two Hawaiians, is he going to be one of the Hawaiians? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, at any rate, this is an exciting event. The more we talk about it, the more excited yeah. I am for this. No, you're, you're absolutely right. It, it's, it's a lot of fun. And um, more will be revealed. Man. All right, Scott Bass, I was mentioning last week, Real Water Sports has that new series that they're doing featuring Brett Barley riding uh, boards from the Real Board Loft, the quiver yeah. of surfboards that they have available for sale. And episode one was with, and one and two actually are with the Lost Driver. I wanted to give listeners kind of a glimpse at what these pieces are. You got Brett Barley riding the boards, discussing them with Trip Foreman, and this is kind of uh, insight into the depth that they do discussing these things. Uh, I can tell whether a board's gonna be good if I can figure it out 
or if I'm gonna hop on it and be like, no, this is, this is gonna be a struggle, but I'll try. This board, I hopped on it, and from the very first time I stood up, it was like, I didn't even have to think about it. It just did what I wanted it to do. And it was a pretty wild feeling. Going from like, like I said, being so dialed in to like, okay, I'm gonna pluck this one off the rack. I have no idea. No idea, and it was that amazing. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. For those of you that don't know, I mean, this is a Lost Driver 2.0. I mean, this is the, the workhorse of the Lost High Performance like shortboard series. It's in Lost Lightspeed construction, and that is a stringerless EPS blank with epoxy resin and Lost's own fiberglass schedule on here. Uh, what Matt and the Lost guys are looking to do on this board is to make a light board that will also last. So they want it to be light, you know, very much along the same weights as like a, a competition PU poly, like single glass. They also want the pop, like the spring, and the pop out of the turns of a stringerless board. Uh, but they don't want the board to fall apart as quickly as like some of those disposable PU boards. So they came up with light speed and, uh, and this is the board that, you know, Brett, like Brett, like basically went around the entire shop. He said, this is the one I, you know, this is the yeah. one I want to have. And, uh, the surprising thing was, is that it was windy. Yeah. So, so, it so that's one minute of a 15 minute breakdown of that board. But I think what's relatable is Brett talks about when he was riding super brand for 10 years. He had three board models that he was riding and he was dialing in these tiny little differences between this version and that version. Once you eliminate that and you walk into a surf shop and there's 1500 boards, where do you even start? You know, and that's yeah. where most of our listeners are walking into just going, man, where do I even begin? And so he yeah. literally picks a board off the rack that just feels, I don't know, this feels right under my arm, but I don't know what's what. And to have trip there kind of breaking down what's what and why it's what yeah. is very relatable and helpful. Yeah, that looked, that looked, I mean, I didn't, there was, I, yeah, they communicated effectively. I thought it was straightforward. I mean, it spoke for itself how good it was. I know. So realwatersports.com, check out that series, check out their board inventory. And then also you're going to need fins for those surfboards. So NVS fins is our, what I've been riding exclusively and uh, have been for years now, highly recommend them. You can find them there or at surfnvs.com, of course. Love my NVS fins. Don't leave home without them. And nothing but great feedback from listeners. I get at least once a week, somebody DMing, asking for uh, the website link or recommendations or whatever. So nothing but great feedback. Thank you so much. Surfnvs.com and realwatersports.com. You. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So I don't suppose based on your intro to today's show that you watched episode three of how surfers get paid. No, but I'm no, the answer is no. Um, I'm going to give you so episode three is about Nike. Yeah. Pretty much exclusively about Nike. Um, I'll give you a rundown of what's to come on episodes four, five, and six. Episode four is about energy drinks. 
super yeah. interesting. Energy drinks um, have in come ways, in. This whole thing is like a history lesson more than what's happening right now. Very much. Yeah, yeah. it is a history lesson. Uh, but it the, each episode actually talks about what's happening now as well, but they do spend a ton of time building the backstory for how things happen the way they happen now. And energy drinks, there is an interesting history there, but it is still relevant today because a lot of people who have that sticker on their board, that is the highest paycheck that they're receiving. Energy energy drink companies, you know, charge two or $3 for a can of sugary water that costs them three cents to make. And so there's tons of profit in that business and they throw a lot of that money at athletes. Yeah. Yeah. So these are, you know, $300,000 paychecks for a lot of these guys and girls. Uh, So episode four will be interesting. Episode five is called Renegades of Risk. And it's how four of surfing's most influential names started their own brands. So Kelly Slater, Dane Reynolds, John John Florence, Julian Wilson. Mm. And uh, episode six is more to your point. It's who will reign. It's kind of what's coming next. And Mm who the, who the, uh, the next decade of big earners will be. Oh, that's, I'm looking forward to it. I loved the first two episodes were great, really had me hooked. And so, um, I'm looking forward to watching them for sure. Well, so I'll give you some highlights from episode three about Nike, which the funniest thing to me about it is how it just feels like yesterday that that happened yeah. and they're talking about it and it's way in the, I mean, this like 2002 or something. Yes, it's 20 years ago. And the people who benefited from that are already retired and they've been retired for 10 years. You know, it's like, yeah. this is so far in the in the rear view mirror, but to, just shows how old I'm feeling right now. Yeah. Um, so our uh, question for you is, I know you call him Paul Nod. I always want to say Paul Nod Day. Yeah. What's, is it officially <laughs> Nod? What is, or are you just saying? I really that? don't know. Okay. I really don't know. I hear people call it both ways. And I know, me too. I think um, it's, I do think it's not. Okay. I have to ask him at some point. Anyways, he's talking about, uh, he opens up the episode talking about how he wants to, to defend surf culture's borders against outsiders. I don't like outsiders. You know, I don't want them coming in, spending money, influencing our sport, or, or even worse, kind of just, uh, profiting off our sport off the image of our sport to sell products that then compete with our products so i don't so he like, doesn't like competition is that what he's saying <laughs> welcome to capitalism that. no it's funny that you say that because i did feel conflicted about some of the things he was saying as yeah, well but i i do I, too. but i agree with him you know like at the end of the day i, I like he is a capitalist and um and i can relate to that and like yeah. he is He's choosing a moral stance to right. base his claim on. And that's the part that I agree with is like, I want to defend surfing's borders or the culture's borders, essentially, is what he said. And I agree I, with that. I would say, well, then don't sponsor guys that are sponsored by outsiders. Right. Maybe I think, I think Maybe that he, he does. I, I think he puts his money where his mouth is now. Yeah. But yeah. the criticism in the comments section was, you know, Red Bull. Or Billabong, when you're running Billabong and selling product to TJ Maxx or whatever, like that, no, that flies okay. in the face of what you're talking. Right. Yeah. So, but in but and the other thing that I thought about when he's talking about defending culture, the culture's borders is how do you define the culture at this exactly? Point? I think at, at his time or when he was talking about feeling this way, <clears throat> what he's saying was salient. Yeah, it's it not like necessarily gotcha. salient anymore, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I agree. But but it's hard to define. Can we all agree at this point on what surf culture is? And we can't. No. It's a different thing to everybody. It's gone. It's this, gone. The ship has sailed. The shark has jumped. Totally. It's been gone for a long time. As far as trying to defend that moral high ground is impossible. Well, because it's, it because looks it's low like a ground. Thing. It's not even high ground. It's low ground. You're, if you're def- trying to defend a culture based on capitalism, you're not really defending a culture. You're defending capitalism. And capitalism mm. defends itself. It's called, you know, supply and demand. Yeah, it's called the bottom line. And yeah, it speaks. Yeah. So um, uh, did you read Matt Warshaw's piece this week? I kind of did. I found it kind of 
I didn't get into it. I didn't grab me the way they normally do. Oh, really? I felt yeah. the exact opposite. I thought this one was extra. It grabbed me right off the little the hip thing header. about about being hip. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because it talks about what we're talking about right now is what it, how do you define the culture? And what Matt was talking about is surfing is no longer hip. Was it ever hip? He then does kind of a deep dive into, but yeah, it's like I mean that really what he was I grabbed from it was how do you define hip? Right, exactly. How do you define the culture anymore? I mean, at the end of the day, surfing is really um, it's really defined by your own individual experience. Totally. Like it's such a personal thing. And that's why people get mad about people trying to define it. It's like, don't tell me how I'm supposed to feel about it. I know exactly. I felt that way this morning. I had a gut ball in my stomach because I think the swell was coming up and there's going to be really good peaks down. And I was going to, you know, whatever it is, each person has their own trip. Well, that's so as it relates to marketing and defining the culture, the individuals are who we always kind of uh, looked to, you know, Andy Irons was such an individual. And as soon as Billabong identifies that, designs a board short for it, wraps marketing around it, puts it on posters, it does define the culture and it define it influences you and I. And then everybody starts mimicking it and it's no longer than hip. You know, those baggy board shorts past your knees that suffocate you when you're trying to stand up, they paralyze your knee from bending (laughs) when you're trying to stand up are no longer hip. Now those are cheese ball and nobody wants to wear them anymore. You know, so you see these cycles of this is hip while it's on the ascent. And then as soon as it becomes mainstream and accepted by all, then it's no longer hip. But the culprit really in that scenario is kind of the brand who is marketing it to everybody. They are our savior at once, and then they become the culprit. So it's it's an interesting cycle to see. And Nike, Nike is the focus of this episode. And it is the shortest cycle that we've ever seen of that happening before, where they just came in, just hired every, they're just like, hey, uh, Ken Worthy, the photographer, you know everybody. We'll just pay you to give us entree into all of that. And then, in fact, we're going to send you guys on. We'll give you double what you've ever made before, give you double the budget for the trip, send you on the best boat at the right time, get all the clips, give them back to us. We'll create marketing campaigns that are sexier than anything that you've ever worked on before. Julian Wilson, what do you want to be? We will make you that. Chloe Andino, what do you want to be? We'll make you that. Until three years down the road, they go, uh, well, this is way less profitable than basketball shoes are. We're out of here. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. You know what? To me, it's it's always been about the surfboard. Unless you're building and making surfboards from, you know, in other words, soft goods companies, clothing companies, try as they might, they will never, ever be the arbiter of the culture. Because they're not making what we do. Well, you could do the thing without them. Exactly. You can do the thing without them. Which is why surfboards from day one have been, you know, the, like I said, the arbiter of the culture. That, like, we all know the surfboard that Nat Young was riding in the, I believe it was the 66 world titles uh, in San Diego. It was the yeah. magic Sam. Do you know what he was wearing that day? Do you know which board nope. short? <laughs> exactly. And we all know yeah. about the V bottoms and McTavish and Brewer and the shortboard revolution. And we all know about surfboards because that's what matters to us. And yeah. so it's hard to have a CEO of a soft goods company. And by the way, Paul, I love Paul. I think he's actually, he's incredibly intelligent. I don't know if I love him. Let me rephrase that. But he's incredibly intelligent. And he's, and he's a surfboard builder. Paul was a friggin' surfboard builder. And he loves surfboards. And so he's as close as you're going to get to getting it. But at the end of the day, he's selling soft goods. And nobody really gives a shit. I don't need them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't mean to make a statement on whether I like or don't like Paul. Um, I didn't either. I think, 
Yeah, I, I think he's that. I don't I think he's fantastic for this piece. And I'm so appreciative of him opening up his insights and sharing yes. them because yeah. he's not pulling any punches. Yeah. He is. And I do, I would say I do, I well, I, first of all, I don't know Paul. I've interacted with him, but I don't know him on a personal level. But if I take the totality of everything that he said in these pieces, I like him. I like yeah. him. And he's I agree with far shooter. more than I disagree he, with. He, yeah, he look, he's very, very smart. Yeah. And um, and he's yeah. obviously done really well for himself. And he's he think he's a deep thinker. He's totally. a deep, deep thinker. He, that's very true. He is thinking about uh while he might be a capitalist, and that is evident, he's thinking about the implications of the capitalism and the influence on the culture and all that kind of stuff in a way that is he's meaningful. He picked surfing for a reason. I would say he cares about steps, a few steps ahead. Yeah. He's thinking a few steps ahead. I agree. Um, Well, I know you've got an obligation here coming up in a few minutes. I do want to mention before we go, I recently watched um, there's a new film coming out called through the doggy door. And I think we might've alluded to it over the last year or two, but this is a focus on Sheldon Paishan, who is a West side of Oahu surfer, who's good friends with Mason Ho. And Mason Ho actually ushered this project into existence. And um, I recommend the film. It's doing its kind of circuit of premieres right now. I think it debuted in Encinitas two weeks ago. Yeah. And so I don't know what the premiere schedule looks like, but I'm sure you can find it on their Instagram. Um, So the story is kind of a classic one in surfing. Uh, West side of Oahu is impoverished and you have crime and drug usage and these incredible surfers that come out of that community that don't have the support of surfers who are just on the North shore or even the South shore. And a lot of, there's some, you know, broken homes and families that have split up. So they don't, even if the surfer has talent, they don't have the family support aside from the industry support. So Sheldon's story is kind of right in that vein and got caught up in drugs and other stuff, but he was friends with some pros when he was young. Uh, Sonny Garcia took him under his wing. Johnny Boy Gomes is his, I think, cousin. And then Mason Ho was one of his good friends growing up and their paths diverted, but they reconnected over the last couple of years and Mason took him under his wing uh, Sheldon's been part of Mason's vlog series. Mason started, you know, I'm just going to pay for you to come travel with me. And now Sheldon has a budding pro surf career. So this film documents that entire arc. And interestingly, they have footage of Sheldon surfing and behind the scenes footage from all of those young years because he was tagging along with Mason and Mason had a camera trained on him. So it's a great story it's one that uh again has happened in the surf world that west side kind of thing we've seen that a few times so there's a lot to unpack there and i think it's worth kind of discussing to see the systemic issues that exist with that story and then the surfing the surfing's great he does uh, talking about charismatic characters sheldon is a charismatic character that's easy to kind of get behind and root for and of course mason ho is as well and mason's narrating the entire piece so this does a deeper dive into that West Side story than I've ever seen before. So they talk about the issues yeah, and, the, and how that West Side situation came to be, you know? It's a pretty gnarly situation. I look yeah. forward to seeing that. So really by the good. way, you mentioned the greatest, one of the greatest stories in surfing that needs to be told is the full documentary of Sonny Garcia. Mark Oblowitz, uh has 95% of it completed. And um, I think they're kind of, they don't have the ending quite yet. And so, so, uh, but I've heard that the edit, you know, that initial 95% edit, I talked to Greg Jacobs, who's involved in producing it. And uh, I was kind of angling to try to see a screener of it, but I haven't seen anything yet. I look forward to seeing that and through the doggy door makes sense and by the way they do interview uh sunny in through the doggy door they've got great footage of sunny talking about his experience with um sheldon and Derek ho as well by the way what about johnny boy 
Yep. Johnny Boy is yep. interviewed yep. through it. And like modern Johnny Boy, like it's a new interview, yeah. uh, relatively recent. So yeah. great to see that too. All right. Well, look, good show, David. Thanks for, uh, I got to run to the doctor's office, but until next time, adios and aloha. What's your frequency can at the show? Things are drained. It's a